Hello and welcome to Points of Information, the Debaters Association of Victoria's debate-focused podcast. Uh, Although our debate competitions are on hold because of the coronavirus pandemic, our public speaking competitions are still going ahead. So rather than the normal debate-focused podcast you're normally getting, this time we are going to have a public speaking-focused podcast. So in a bit of change to normal, we've got three brand new hosts that you haven't heard before here to talk about public speaking. First of all is a name which we've probably heard referenced in previous episodes, Finally on the podcast for the first time, would you please welcome our Executive Officer, Charisma. Hi everyone, my name is Charisma. I run the DAV office, so most of the time I'm the person that all of your teachers get the information from, and most of the info on the website and in the training materials comes from my brain in some way or another. Excellent. We also have another member of the office staff, Kim. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim. I also work in the office. Um, My main job is to run the schools competition as well as the British parliamentary competitions, both of which are unfortunately on hold at the moment. So it's exciting to be getting involved with public speaking online as a new exciting venture for us. So Kim and Charisma and, of course, the Easy, which you will have heard before, make up the office staff that run the day-to-day operations of the DAV. And our third member tonight is Tracy. Tracy again. Hi, I'm Tracy. I'm one of the adjudicators for debating and public speaking. You'll probably see me around the Essendon region more often than anywhere else, but you'll also see me at a lot of the public speaking competitions. Uh, Of course, and to round things out, I'm Alexander. Hello again. I am the DAVS Media and Publications Officer. So we wanted to cover the basics of what adjudicators are looking for in public speaking and how that differs from debating adjudication because we know a lot of people will be doing public speaking for the first time this year. So we wanted to make sure that everyone's aware of exactly what we're looking for. So there are two main criteria that we use and we're going to break down those criteria throughout this podcast. The first one is matter. That's about the content of your speech, what's included, how interesting it is, how well you explain it. Second one is manner. That's about your presentation and engagement with the audience. So those are the only two things that are considered in public speaking. There isn't a separate method or structure criteria in public speaking, but we do consider the structure of your speech that it still makes sense that there's a clear beginning, middle and end, but that's all concerned in the, uh, sorry, contained the matter column. So you don't need to worry as much about structure. You can be a little bit more fluid in public speaking so long as there's still an obvious shape to your speech. So the scoring range for public speaking is also slightly different. It's a lot wider than you will see in debating speeches. So the scoring range is 55 to 95. You'll use uh, an average in the 70s. So most of the scores you'll see will be between 70 and 80 as you're used to in debating. But we do have a wider range. So you may see scores um, in the 60s and in the 80s. Um, That's not because your speech is so much better or worse than it is in debating. It's just because we use a wider range. Our average score is 70, which is 35 in each column. Excellent. Is that it? That is all. Excellent. Do you want to move on to matter then? Sure. So we're going to break down the matter criterion first, looking at what you can do to make the content of your speech as persuasive as possible, as clear as possible, and as interesting as possible. So the first thing to think about is choosing a topic. If you're doing junior public speaking, so year seven and eight, you have a choice of three topics. If you are doing year nine to 12 public speaking, you can choose your own topic. So first we might have a quick chat about if you're choosing your own topic, some things to think about. Do you guys have any ideas about that? 
I have some ideas about choosing your own topic and they are mostly related to the time frame you have to speak within. So if you are in the younger years, your speaking times will be quite short in comparison to your 11s and 12s you'll be speaking for up to eight minutes. So you want to make sure that the topic you choose is going to be adequately covered in the time that you have. The more that you can cover in adequate detail, the better it is for your matter score. I've seen numerous speeches in the past which have either focused on a topic that is too small for the speaking time, which means you end up repeating content over and over again. Or I've also seen the opposite end of the spectrum where we've had some really ambitious topics which have unfortunately been too big for the available speaking time. So just make sure that whatever topic you pick, you feel you can do it justice in the given speaking time that you have. Yeah, I think those are very good suggestions that you have to work with in the speaking time you have. Um, just for me, when, about when you choose a topic, especially for the older kids who get to choose their own topics, I, I always feel it's very good to select an area that is important to you. Um, for example, for myself, I'm very into things like art, theatre, and all those sorts of um, kind of cultural interests. And so whenever I do a speech in public, I will, and I'm talking about one of those areas, I think it's, it's very easy for me to come across as being, you know, how important it is to me. And that comes across in terms of the content you can generate and it comes across to the audience that, hey, this is something that's important to the person who's speaking. So always think about things that are important to you in your life and use that as a basis for selecting your topic. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people might have a speech they've given before because they've had an assignment or perhaps they've been in a competition where the topics have been set for them and they felt a little bit confined or limited by that, but they've just had to work within that framework. Those speeches can still be great, but they require a lot more practice if it's not something that you naturally actually care about. So when you've got the free reign to choose something, anything, as long as it's persuasive, then it is certainly much easier for you to be compelling and deliver your speech in a compelling manner if it's something that you actually have an interest in and to demonstrate that interest. The other thing that I'd mentioned, particularly in the junior uh, division, but also in the ones where you can choose your own topics, is to consider what other people might be talking about. Obviously, you won't be seeing anybody else's speeches in this competition because it's online, but the adjudicators especially in the junior division, we'll see a lot of the same topics over and over again in the speeches. So you want to also think about what your unique perspective on that topic is. If they're seeing lots of the same speech on the myth of freedom, what's different about your speech? What stands out about it? And make sure that not just the way you deliver it, but also that the content in that speech is easy to remember, differentiate, is unique from other people's speeches that will more likely stick in the adjudicator's mind. I think the other thing to remember with that is that adjudicators will be seeing a lot of speeches. Uh, it's important to, that you are different in some way. And I think that sticks in people's minds when they've seen like 10, 20 speeches. And, they think, and they, the ones they remember, the ones that have something special about them that stick in your mind long after you've heard the speech. So I think it's, it's important to think about what about my speech is going to be special and different to everyone else's? You need to be very careful because certainly the last time I was adjudicating public speaking, there were the public speakers, there were the students that I remembered because they had something interesting to say, but there's also you want to be make sure you're remembered for the right things. The implication being that there were a few people I remembered because they perhaps didn't have as good as a grasp on the topics as they uh, might have thought they had. 
Yeah, and I think this all ties into being able to express a unique part of yourself in public speaking that you may not be able to do in debating because there is a strict structure that you have to follow in debating. We have set topics and each speaker has their role, but you do have that extra level of flexibility in public speaking. And what makes it memorable is seeing how you can use that extra little bit of flexibility to showcase your individuality and how your unique view on the topic makes it more persuasive than anybody else's view. I think that's probably a good segue into our next heading, which is key messages. So one of the most important things and one of the most frequent things that we as adjudicators find ourselves saying to people in public speaking is that they could have been clearer about what they wanted the audience to remember from their speech. Not what the topic of the speech was, but why they chose that topic what their actual argument is, what they're trying to persuade us of and what they want us to do about it or think about it. Yeah, I think it's important to have a core message in your speech and then you can just keep referring to it throughout your speech to reinforce it. Each time you have a new argument or a new story to tell in your speech, then just refer back to your core message. So the audience is always thinking about where your speech is heading. And with that, structurally, it's always good to have a sort of what, we call it core an impact statement or hook at the start of your speech where you can just grab everyone's attention in your sort of first 30 seconds because a lot of audiences don't have a lot of time in you know, a lot of attention span. And so those first 30 or so seconds, very important to have something that's going to keep them interested for the rest of your speech. So think about what's the most interesting, impactful way to start your speech. At the same time, though, I've already made my first marking in my notebook when I'm adjudicating before 15 seconds. So 13 seconds, you make it sound generous, Kim. I'm a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that will also depend on the length of the speech. If it's a six to eight minute speech, I think that your like opening statement can be longer than if you've only got four. Very true. Yeah. And I think the important thing to remember about any sort of persuasive speaking, particularly in public speaking, when there is a bit of a lax structure and scoring criteria, is to have a really clear idea what you want to communicate across and what you want the audience to walk out of the room remembering from your speech. If you, when listening through your speech during your practices, can't tell what exactly your key point was, that means that there might be a little bit of work to do for you as you restructure part of your speech to make it clearer to not just yourself but also to other people because once it's clear to you if you know what your key points are and what you want to drive home that's going to make every other aspect of your speech more impactful because you'll know what to emphasize and what to draw our attention away with so just remember that we're like puppets in the audience we're going to follow what you direct our attention to and ultimately you want this to be what your key message is not just a bit of a mess or a brain vomit. Sure. I think that both uh, Kim and Tracy's comments also show us how even though structure and method isn't a separate criterion in this competition, that the structure of your speech really does assist the audience in knowing what your message is. So if you are a debater and you are used to having a very mechanical structure because that's what we do in debating, This is what's going to happen in my speech. I'm now talking about this. I finished talking about this. I'm moving on to this. Remind you what I've talked about. You can, if that's a structure that you're comfortable with, still use that in public speaking. Mm. There is no problem with you doing that if you want to do that. 
But you don't have to do that in public speaking because structure isn't an assessment criteria. But if you are not going to do that, the key message and the transitions still need to be clear. So Mm. it may be that you have some kind of anecdote as your kind of impact or hook at the beginning of your speech, a story about something or um, an example of someone in the real world. And then you build towards something at the end, whether that's a call to action or a surprise kind of climax at the end. That is fine, but you still need to make sure those things are very obvious so the audience isn't puzzled for most of your speech. I guess the final thing to talk about in terms of matter is about what makes a speech persuasive. We've said that you need to have an obvious line of argument and a key message. We haven't really talked about argumentation. The good news is if you're a debater, this works in exactly the same way. But just in case you're not, we'll briefly talk about how to build an argument. Basically, we are looking for the same structure you would use for any persuasive text, whether it's written or whether it's in speech form. The steps are the same, but in a speech, the steps need to be more obvious. We've talked about key messages a lot. Generally, you'll have some kind of topic sentence at the beginning of each argument. Then you'll explain how that works, why it's important, and give some kind of example or evidence. This is a very basic generic structure, so you don't have to do this in such a robotic way. These are just the things that would generally need to be covered. Finally, you'll need to link back to your overall topic. So you've got two levels here. One, what is your key message? Two, how does it relate to the topic that you have chosen? Now, if you've chosen your own, your topic might be the same as your key message. If you're in the junior division and you're working with one of the prompts that we've given you, then they are not arguments by themselves. So you'll need to have an opinion based on one of the themes. And so you'll need to be able to explain throughout your speech what that link is and how it leads to your argument or conclusion. Four main steps. Make sure it's clear what your main point or argument is. Make sure there's some evidence and explanation and link it back to your overall topic. If you're doing those four things, then you are meeting the base level of persuasion. Just on that um, small thing you said about it's the same as debating, but you need to be clearer. Or Sorry, it's the same as any written uh, persuasive piece you've done, but it needs to be clearer. When you're reading something, you can obviously read it at your own speed. In a public uh, in a public speech, in a speech that you give, your pace determines the speed that the audience is listening at, and they can't really control how fast they can consume that, which is why it has to be clear, I guess. You need to make sure that you aren't leaving your audience behind. It also plays into manner a little bit as well, I guess. I'll also, I'd like to add an important thing that differentiates speaking, whether in public speaking or in debating and in essay writing, is that the audience can't just rewind and go back and listen to something you've just said. We, when we're reading, can go back to a previous sentence to sort of understand what the point was, but we can't do that with public speaking. It's live and it keeps on going. If you want to make sure that you're definitely communicating that point across in a persuasive way, you can just paraphrase what your key message is and sprinkle it in. Please don't do it every second sentence, but just sprinkle it in every time you make what you would call a key point so that you do all the hard work for us and we can walk away going, okay, they gave us this argument. This is leading back to this point that they wanted to make. I think it was pretty persuasive because it makes sense how it leads back like that. And it's important to double check that your speech does make sense because sometimes when you're writing, you can get really carried away 
and you're writing about things that you're extremely passionate about and that's great but it may not actually make sense in the minds of other people because our brains are different and we might not follow the same structure that you follow so look through it with a fresh pair of eyes after you've done your first or second draft and just ask yourself does it make sense going from this sentence to this thing to this story does that make sense and if it does great and if it doesn't then you know what you need to work on if you've got a supportive friend then even if you read the speech like not give them the full public speech version and practice in front of them if you don't want to but if you can just like read the words in your speech to someone else and make sure that they can understand what you're getting what you're getting at then i think that that is a really useful way it's good if you can read it out loud but it's better if someone else can hear it out loud and still interpret your meaning mm. i think it's also important to remember just when you're writing your speech that we write and talk differently and so remember that you're writing something that's going to be delivered verbally. Keep it simple and not make it an entire essay that you would submit for like English or something like that. Um, this needs to be something that can be communicated easily to people who are just there to listen to you for a few minutes. Mm, simple language. Yeah. There's, there seems to be sometimes a false impression that bigger words means bigger points with adjudicators, but sometimes we actually don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> So if you're able to express your thoughts and your views in a simple way, just stick with that. No need to go through dictionary.com and find the longest word you can input instead. I might just make one other comment about persuasion. A lot of you will be familiar with different persuasive techniques. It is totally fine for you to employ these in your public speaking speeches. It works much better in public speaking than it does in debating because it's not interactive, mm. but... Please still consider which ones you use and when. Just because they're called persuasive techniques doesn't mean you should try to cram as many as possible into your speech. <laughs> like it would be super weird if your speech was just a whole lot of rhetorical questions. Or a whole bunch of rhyming. Oh, please don't rhyme too much. <laughs> I mean, that would be a way that definitely you could differentiate your speech, but possibly not in a good way if the whole thing was a poem. We would be really <laughs> impressed with your creativity, but also not necessarily by your persuasive technique. There was a uh, cafe I went to in New Zealand and it was basically like DIY burgers. You'd, you'd walk along the buffet and it's like, okay, I'll have... The, it was basically like serve yourself Subway. You could choose what you wanted in this burger and then they'd uh, cook it for you basically. And, of course, you give a bunch of teenage children free range over the food. They will. The first thing they will do is try and put everything inside the burger. And let me tell you... A lot of things that might sound like they would go well together, as soon as you actually do put them together and try and eat them, it doesn't taste nice and it becomes too big to eat and there's a lot of problems. And in the same way, if you try and cram every device inside of your speech, it's probably going to be a little bit unwieldy. You're going to have trouble fitting it all in. It might not work as perhaps you think it should because those things, while they work great individually, they don't work well together. And the reverse is also true. If you cram your burger full of just cheese and lettuce, it's not going to be a great burger as much as like if you put a few other things in there to make sure there's enough diversity in there. So please don't stick to rhetorical questions and only use rhetorical questions, as Charisma was saying. A very easy way to check if your speech is persuasive, see if you believe it yourself. If you've written something and you don't believe what you're saying, you may need to tweak it a little bit. Oh, the one other thing I'll talk about is when choosing your topic or choosing your content is that you don't have to give a serious speech. So there has to be a clear argument and we're not looking for stand-up comedy, but <laughs> you could give a speech about how to make the perfect cup of tea. 
as long as there was some kind of argument in there, like the best way to make a cup of tea is this, or that there's only good one good way to make a cup of tea or something like that. You could give a speech that is about something frivolous, if it's something that you like, that you feel like you would mm-hmm. like to talk about. You don't have to give speeches which are kind of in a debating kind of context. You don't have to give speeches that are about something important in the world, just about something that's important to you. So you can have a bit of fun with it if you want to, so long as so you're still I meeting the criteria. So I am here to argue that pineapple is the best topping to go on top of your pizza. I mean, best is probably a reach, but like it <laughs> seems fine. Yeah, i just add to that that don't be afraid of humour. Um, Humour is a great way to get an audience engaged with your topic. Um, you just have to remember that humour is very subjective and you have to be careful how you go about making jokes in public because sometimes they just fall flat and then you lose your audience. But if you can get your audience laughing, thinking, oh, yeah, that, that relates to me, then they're suddenly on your side and they'll be more likely to follow your argument all the way to the end. Yeah, people like funny people. So if there is the occasional joke in your speech, if there is a comedic element to your content or structure, that is totally fine. Your adjudicators will appreciate that. But also, if you're not someone who, like, if you don't think you're naturally funny, you don't have to be. You can give a serious speech or a funny speech or something in between. You want to do what suits you best and what suits the content best. And I think that's probably a good link to us moving into manner and presentation skills. The second category that we assess you on in public speaking is manner. And manner comprises of a lot of different things, but it's basically about how you present yourself to the audience. This includes things like making eye contact with the audience. Um, It's amazing how many people just look down at their cards and never look up at the audience. It's very important to make that eye contact because when people see you making eye contact with them, you're creating a connection with the audience. They're more likely to keep listening to you if you're looking at them and engaging them in that way. Eye contact is going to be very different in the context of online public speaking. That is actually a good point. (laughs) Um, So we're still looking for the same skill. However, obviously you can't see where the audience is. So it's more difficult for you to kind of target your eye contact to them. Obviously, the easiest way to do this is going to be to work out where your camera is and look at that. You can afraid, like you can afford to look kind of vaguely to either side of it to give the illusion of speaking to an audience. That's fine. Um, but I would heavily suggest, we require you to send an unedited video, but I would heavily suggest that you take a few practice goes so that you can get a sense of where you should look so it doesn't look like you're just staring off into the side of the room. <laughs> We all know how to watch people on the screen. We don't really know how to be the person on a screen. As in, we've all watched TV and we all know what to expect when looking at a newscaster or someone in a movie. And it's we're expecting them to look straight at us uh, along the lines of straight into the camera. You don't really see a newscaster, uh, you know, the news presenter looking around at their audience because they have one. So I think looking straight into the camera is probably your best bet. And But also, you've probably got a lot of experience critiquing people on the screen, but probably not much experience being the person on the screen. So I would definitely put my, uh, put my cards behind, give yourselves a practice run, check yourself out and make sure that you're not doing any, uh, anything that you might not be aware of that might not be as uh, good of a presentation that you might be capable of. Cool. So we talked about eye contact first. Some other things that you might want to consider in terms of your presentation. Uh, Tracy, do you have any ideas about this? Yeah, so this is probably my particular speaking point when I'm adjudicating public speaking. 
I want to hear your voice and I want to hear your style of presentation. The most persuasive speeches are not just the ones which are written well, they are also the ones which are presented well. So this is the way I like to think of it. When we're reading, punctuation and paragraph breaks are the things that help us pass what's important, what's not, when one idea has moved on to the next, and what we should be paying particular attention to. We don't have punctuation in its traditional form when we're listening and watching public speaking speeches. What we do have is variations in tone, volume, pace, and pausing to act as the punctuation mark to direct the listener to what is important and what they should be focusing on. There isn't one right way to do this, and that's where I want to emphasize the finding your own voice and being yourself. It's very easy for me to say you should increase the light and shade, you should increase the volume where it's important and decrease it where it's less important. That's all that's all fair and well, but you may end up sounding a little bit mechanical if you take that just as it is and try to put it in just for the sake of it. You want to put it in where it matters and where it matters to you the most and how it can best communicate your passion for the topic and what you want to persuade us. I would definitely strongly recommend that you consider listening back and watching yourself and seeing where you've put those punctuation marks and in what way you've done them. If they're natural, that's going to come across much more smooth for the audience. But if it's coming across quite mechanical, it's going to be jolty for us as well. And we'll find it difficult to figure out exactly what it is you want us to focus on because it may not be so clear. It's jumping from idea to idea to idea. So play around with how you deliver your speech. Play around with which part of the sentence or which words you emphasize, whether you say it loudly, or softly, Play around with your emotion, whether you're really angry about something or you're just having a more conversational, humorous light chat with us about it, because it really can make all the difference between a speech that's been written well and a speech that's been presented well. I think that Tracy's talked about some really important factors of vocal presentation there. So in particular, volume, tone and pace. You might also talk a little bit about the things that you can do in terms of your body language in a speech. So these will include the way that you're standing and the use of gestures and how much you move. Tim, did you want to talk a bit about that? Basically, remembering that you're going to be filming yourself. So you've got a limited space depending on where you set up the camera. And so make sure that you frame yourself well to start with and then all your body language needs to be contained within that frame. So if you're moving a lot, you might be as someone, who, there's nothing wrong with actually moving around, using your hands to make gestures, especially when you're saying something important, but make sure that it's not becoming distracting. And this is particularly important on a film speech where it's very easy to lose track of where you are in the camera. So set up your camera well, practice the body language that fits that space. So if you're waving your arm and it goes off camera, or you're walking off to the side and suddenly you're not in picture anymore. These are simple things that you can correct. And then just then once you work out what body language you're using, try to make that as effective as possible. Hand gestures are great. A little bit of movement doesn't hurt, but don't make it distracting where people are just watching you move backwards and forwards instead of listening to what you're saying. If I could add one or two things onto that, 
cameras do make it difficult. They have a narrower field of vision than what you might expect, which is a very technical way of saying they don't see as much as you think they would. So if you're looking back at your self on your practice run and you're finding that you're moving out of frame a lot get some get some masking tape or some cheap little tape or something uh, hopefully you'll have your camera on a tripod or prop it up on, de on a desk or something where you're going to record it have a look at what it can see and then put tape marks down of where your limits are and that can help you because if you're on a maybe you might uh, live in a townhouse and you don't have much room you can't do the big hand wavy gestures you have to keep your hands in close that's an easy way of knowing all right I can't do a big wide arm gesture. I might have to do it a little bit more closed in. Or if you're if you've got a bit more space where we can see all of you and you take a few steps left or right, well, what's a step too far? And putting a few markers on a on the ground or in front of you is a nice way of reminding yourself. Oh wait, I'm on a camera. I can't pretend like it can see absolutely everything. Let's assume you don't have masking tape or your parents don't want you putting tape on your floor. <laughs> Feel free to also fair. just like put yes. some books or like some cans from the pantry or something on fair the ground enough, yes. to mark out the space. <laughs> Let's not encourage people to destroy their home. <laughs> that was body language. Thinking about how much you move, that you stay in frame and that the amount of movement that you have doesn't distract from your speech. In public speaking, you can probably afford a little bit more movement than in a debating speech. What I mean is you don't have to, like, please don't just be walking constantly in your speech. This will cause many problems for the framing, if nothing else. Um, but people tend to do a little bit more movement construction in public speaking, or they, we see it more frequently. It's not a requirement to have any gestures or any movement in your speech if that is not something that you are comfortable doing. Right? If you are someone who moves a lot, then you might find standing still difficult, in which case it is okay for you to gesture a lot if that is what comes naturally to you. If you are a still person, please feel free to remain being a still person in your speech. So it's all about what works for you. Gestures don't magically score you more points just for being gestures, and they will seem quite awkward if they're not natural to you. But if you do want to have some planned gestures in your speech, you are welcome to do that and to try things out and see how they work. I think that's probably all for body language, unless anyone has any other comments. Okay, we've briefly touched on kind of different styles of presentation in terms of the use of humour and being formal. We've talked a lot about doing what feels most comfortable for you mm -hmm. and showing your personality in your speech. All of those are different ways of finding your voice, of making your speech unique. There's no one right style. It is all about making sure that the delivery style that you choose matches the content that you are talking about and is done in a way that makes you appear confident. The easiest way to do that is for you to choose something that you care about because you will naturally be able to deliver that in a more confident way. I think the only thing to add to that is just... Make sure you're matching the content to the way you deliver your speech. Sometimes these can clash quite badly. So if you're delivering a serious speech, you know, don't deliver it in a humorous way or vice versa. You've got to match the content to what you're trying to say. And this includes all your manner aspects as well. So just bear in mind what sort of content you're trying to deliver and your presentation should match that. And probably also consider how you want the audience to react to the speech. Do you want them to be angry? Do you want them to feel uplifted? That should affect how you choose to deliver the speech. 
And you might want to try a couple of different ways when you're practicing the speech. You might want to say, okay, I'm going to try and do this in a really angry, aggressive way and see if I think that works better than if I do it in a more measured way. Or even there might be parts of your speech that work better one way or the other. You don't have to deliver the whole speech in the same kind of voice. Please don't do that. I mean, I mean, like a newsreader <laughs> style versus dramatic style, not like literally monotone. Please definitely don't do it in monotone. Don't be monotone. <laughs> so that's what your adjudicators are looking for. These are the things that add value in both matter and manner. The two last things that we want to cover are more practical things. We want to talk about how to calm your nerves in public speaking and also how to film your speech in the most optimal way. So in terms of calming your nerves, Kim, I think you probably have some things to say about this. Yes, I definitely do. I, like pretty much everyone else on the planet, gets nervous before public speaking. I get nervous before talking on a podcast. Um, we all suffer from nerves and there's nothing wrong with that. That is perfectly normal. But there are different ways we can control our nerves and so they don't impact on our speech delivery. And there's different techniques and things will work differently for everyone. So I'm just going to suggest some ideas. You can try them out and see what works for you. One of the simplest things you can do is just work on your breathing before you deliver the speech. There are all sorts of different breathing exercises you can do. You can just find one that works for you. And if you just slow down your breathing, it helps relax you and then you feel more confident going into your speech. Some people have a lot of pent up energy before they speak. So sometimes doing some exercises before you speech, to get that energy out of your system would be great. Plus, you, you're doing this in the privacy of your own home. Before a debate, sometimes it might be a bit awkward if you're doing exercises outside of the debate room, but it doesn't matter when you're recording a speech at home. So if you need to get that energy out so you're not jumping up and down while you're delivering your speech, that's another good way to do it. You can also work on your voice. You can, there's vocal exercises you can do just to warm up your voice so you're relaxed and you're going to deliver a speech you know, comfortably vocally. You can also have a drink of water before you speak. That can often help you. It can actually settle your nerves, helps clear your throat. Don't drink too much water, though. You don't want to be you know, overloaded with water while you're delivering your speech. Other things you can do, just think positively. You know, don't think, oh, I'm going to screw this up. Have positive thoughts. This is important to me. I know I can deliver this. I can make people understand what I'm trying to say. Just think positive thoughts, positive reinforcement before you speak. Practice, practice, practice. That always helps. The more you practice something, the easier it gets. And, you know, just something that I think, you know, doesn't work for everyone, but mindfulness is something that works for a lot of people. You just get to go on YouTube, find a mindfulness video, and just, you know, do 10 minutes of mindfulness before you deliver your speech. It might just settle you down and put you in a really good state of mind. Some of these might work for you. Some of these may not work for you. There may be something I haven't mentioned that might work better for you. I think one of the keys to combating nerves is find something that works for you and just use that as your basis before you deliver your speech. And that will help you not just with public speaking, with debating, when you're delivering presentations in school. It's just a great life skill to have. So find something that works for you and then just go with that. Yeah, I think those tips were great. Kim. The only thing I would also add onto it is the biggest source of nervousness before any presentation or any action of any kind is feeling as if you're unprepared or that you don't know what you're talking about. You'll notice that the most confident people, or at least the ones who come across as the most confident, 
are the ones who know exactly what they're going to be talking about and they don't feel like anything is going to take them by surprise. So while that doesn't mean that you have to completely memorize your speech, know it back to front, inside and out, it really will show in your confidence levels if you're very familiar with it. So it's a speech that you've recently written or one that you have written yourself. And it's one that you have dedicated effective time to practicing, not just practicing for the sake of practicing, but practicing so that you feel you know it. And you know the twists and turns of your speech and what leads on to what. So there is no surprises. And you'll find that this will greatly reduce how nervous you feel in conjunction to deep breathing, some mindfulness and some positive thinking. Just feeling prepared does absolute wonders for your confidence levels. Yeah, I would totally agree with everything that you two have just said. The one other thing that I would mention is one of the general fears in public speaking is somehow something will go wrong or that you'll like embarrass yourself in some way. Mm -hmm. Firstly, I think that everything that Tracy has just said about practice and everything that Kim has said about preparing yourself well mentally and emotionally are very important to that. But you also need to put yourself in the mind of the audience. Now, in this case, it's just adjudicators, but no one in an audience when you're giving a speech, whether it's in a class, in a competition, or just to one other person, the person listening to that speech wants you to do a good job and wants to hear an interesting speech. No one is watching the speech hoping that things will go wrong. Mm. I think if you keep in mind that the audience is on your side, then that also makes it much easier. Like they are starting from a positive point. The other thing is a lot of the things that can go wrong in a speech you can protect against because you could film it again. But <laughs> yes. even in other competitions, Just delete, re-record, job done. <laughs> in a normal, uh, in a normal world where you're doing this live, even if something does go wrong, you mispronounce a word, you skip a sentence, you drop a cue card or two. All of those things feel like they're a huge deal at the time to you and you only unless you make a big deal of it happening. So if something small does happen, we're not expecting you to record a hundred versions of this speech over and over again and give us a perfect version. Not really what public speaking is about. Definitely practice as much as you can. But if small things go wrong, the likelihood that those small things will have any effect on the persuasion or score of your speech is so low. Because what your adjudicators assess is the overall persuasion, the overall engagement of your speech, not what's happening at every second in your speech. And also remember you're the only one who knows what's on your cue cards. If you miss a sentence or you skip a, a word or something like that, we don't know it. So to us, so long as you present it confidently, we're not going to know the difference between what you actually wanted to say and what you ended up saying. As an adjudicator, we're not looking for perfection. I think that's important to say too. And in mm. some ways, perfectionism is your worst enemy, not your best friend. Yeah, a lot of the speeches that I see where people have attempted to memorise their speech or are trying really hard not to look at their cards at all are speeches where you can see the wheels turning on people's faces. You can see their brain ticking over in their eyes. So we would prefer you give a speech where you look at your cards on occasion or even often but look at the audience often as well than one where you have tried to memorise something and then delivered in a way that is stressful to watch because you are stressed about trying to remember it. All right, our final thing to talk about is just being aware of 
how to film your speech so that it is easy to watch and there aren't any technical problems. I guess that's me, is it? I think that you had things to say, so we can certainly <laughs> start with you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually very hard to talk about. If I'm talking to this with a friend, I know what the friend's house is, I know what stuff they have, and I can say, get this camera stand in that room, turn that light on, and go for it. So giving general advice is a little bit hard. Some of the cardinal sins, I would say, would be just making sure we can actually see you. A lot of cameras aren't that good. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you probably spent a lot of money on your phone, but the camera is not that good. So please do not stand in front of something obvious like a window or a really bright light because that's only going to leave a very black silhouette instead of your lovely, lovely face, which we would love to see. So I guess really the big thing is just do a test run. As we as we said, record yourself for a practice and just look it over and check. Make sure that you can hear it and that you can see yourself. Because if you can't hear yourself or you can't, you know, see all the gestures that you're making, then your adjudicator isn't going to be able to uh, either. So the probably the best advice... I could give from a technical standpoint of how do I record myself is just guess and test a bit, do a bit of trial and error, see what works for you, see what doesn't. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. Break that down a bit, yeah. Okay, how can we make sure that we can see you? Firstly, make sure that the lighting in the room that you have chosen is not too bright, not too dark, and that you are not weirdly lit by light behind you or in front of you or from the side. Secondly... When, sure. I'm, when I'm Sorry. recording myself for a Zoom call, even if it's the middle of the day, I will turn the lights in the room on just to provide a more even light, which makes it easier for the camera. Right. Yeah. In terms of framing, obviously make sure that you are not going anywhere where the camera can't see you. Make sure, ideally, we'd love to see a head-to-foot frame, but we understand that some microphones in cameras will not be able to handle that. We know that not everyone has an amazing home setup. So... Work with what you can. If you can do a head-to-foot shot and we can still hear you, great. If you can only do from waist up, great. If all that you can do because you have to be close to your camera is from like your shoulders up so that we get all of your face, your face is the most important part that we need to see. So work with what you have. There are no strict requirements that will not factor into the scoring. It just gives us a better sense of the kind of things that we talked about in manner if we see as much of you as possible. But we want to make sure, more importantly, that we can hear your speech as clearly as possible. So favour the audio over the video, but make sure that you are still visible and audible at all times. And the other thing I would say is... Yes, a tripod is very helpful for this. It's certainly better than, you know, resting your phone or a camera on top of a stack of books. But the best thing you can go with is a camera operator. For you, that might be called mum or dad. For me, it's called my sister. And having someone holding the phone or holding the camera and looking at the viewfinder, they can see what the camera can and can't see. So when you're, like, getting ready, they'll be able to say, oh, no, I can't see your hand anymore. They'll also be able to give you, a, I guess, a good indication of maybe some of the other things you haven't picked up on. And they also might be able to say, I don't think the camera can hear you. Can we, you know, step a bit closer to make sure that we can hear you? So get a friend to, if if, you, if at all possible, if you're in isolation, I'm sure you've got some family members around, grab one. Hey, I need you for five seconds. Can you help record this for me? Yeah, I guess get a second uh, set of hands to help you out with the recording. That will really help. And another thing about that is, you know, keep your eyes open. I, I've I've seen people give their give speeches with their eyes closed, and it and it just really impacts your ability to deliver a speech. So, 
Um, just look into the camera is probably the best advice for an online speech. And as Charisma said, you're going to be recording yourself anyway. And one of the best ways to learn about the things that you do in a speech is to record yourself and watch yourself back. This can be very painful. I hate watching myself speak. It's like the worst thing I could possibly do. This is a painful experience, but sometimes you'll see stuff if you watch yourself that your friends, your teachers, even your adjudicators may not point out to you. They may be too polite. They may, um, may not feel the need to point it out, but then you can see very obvious things that you do, such as your body language. Maybe you're moving your hands way too much, or, you know, you're, you're filming in front of a camera, but you're moving side to side and you're moving out of the picture. These are simple things that you might just notice yourself. You fix them in your, when you actually deliver your speech and it, and it's just something that will help your manner to be much better. The only other thing I would add is that we hope that this has given you a grounding in what the adjudicators are looking for when they are judging your public speaking speeches. We wish you the best of luck in this year's competition. If you do have any further questions about public speaking, we would recommend that you email the office or you can email the podcast publications at dav.com.au. We would love to answer your questions about this or anything else in future podcasts. And if you are interested in any other training materials, then you can ask your teachers to get in contact with the office and we can give a slightly more in-depth version of some of the tips uh, that we have provided either in uh, PowerPoint and or video mode. Excellent. I think that wraps things up. Great. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, everyone. Cool. Bye-bye.